Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Well, hey, Freedom House. Good to see everybody. Come on, give Jesus a big hand clap today. Good to be in the house of the Lord. We also want to welcome all of our live streamers. We got United Kingdom, Peru, South Carolina, New York, Georgia, Florida, California. Church, can we give our online streamers a big welcome? And then soon, coming up in April, we'll be uh, live streaming right into our Mecklenburg County Jail. And so we'll have another 2,000 inmates we'll be able to reach there. And so I know you're excited about that. It's going to be really, really good. One church, multiple locations. We got... Uh, our campus at South End, Lake Norman, that's happening today. My wife preached at South End. I already got emails and text messages. She did a great job. And then Olin preached at our Lake Norman campus. And I'm with you today. You got me three weeks in a row, just so you know. Y'all are special. Y'all are special. Look at your neighbor say, you're special. You're special. Look at your other neighbor say, I'm special. I'm special. Hey, uh, in a few weeks, we have what's called our Liberty Offering, and this is a a time where, as a church, we all gather together, and we give one big weekend. We all come together and give to bridge the gap of the vision that we have here at Freedom House Church, and you heard uh, during the preview that we have a lot of things that we're really wanting to accomplish, and I wanted just to share really quickly the potential that we have to maybe encourage you a little bit. Because really what we want you to do is just to pray right now. Just that's all we want you to do. Just pray. Ask what God would do. But I just want to tell you what the potential is. You know, we call our church a small church with a lot of people. We're, we are a fairly large church in the community. And, but uh, one of the things that we can do is we have a lot of ability to influence. And you heard our, our opportunity to help Nashville through Convoy of Hope. And we do that regularly. But if we were to up, like if, if everybody, so let, let, me, let me explain it to you this way. We have three kinds of givers, three kinds of people in the church. We have people that are just trying to figure out God. They're kind of new. They're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a giver. They're not doing it yet, but they're you know, kind of working their way in. We have people who give occasionally, okay? They just, you know, every now and then they'll drop uh, some money in the container. And then we have people that are regular tithers. They're, they're regular people who give. If, per se, okay, let me just throw this out there. Let's just set aside liberty for a second. If everybody in the church, everybody, all three people were to tithe, we would be out of debt in a year. Okay, just, just, just tithe. Okay, nothing above tithe. Just the tithe. The median income in Charlotte... Medium household income is about $53,000. So, you know, you got people that make less than that. You have people that make more than that. So you put all that together. If we all just were to simply take 10% of our income, give it to the church, in one year, we would be completely debt-free. Imagine what could happen the second year and the third year and the fourth year, the influence that we could have. Just so you know, in, in America, 2% of people tithe. 2%. Okay, Now, our church is way above that number because y'all are just incredibly generous. Look at your neighbor. Say, you're awesome. You're awesome. We're way above 2%. Okay, now, that just lets you know from a tithe. Okay, let's talk about liberty for a second. If, if 
Just say that the regular people who gave were to give $500 in liberty offering. Just $500, okay? Now, some people are going to give more, some people are going to give Just regular t- people. The second group of people were to just to say, I'm going to give $100. And the ones that are trying to figure it out, goose egg. They didn't give anything, all right? We would hit a million dollars in one offering. Now, that's way more than we're believing for with the four opportunities that we have in what we portrayed to you. But imagine what could happen if we did that over a few years, the influence that we could have. Money is just a tool, guys. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, because I've seen it work over and over and over. The Bible actually works. And, I mean, it really does. And if you'll get on God's economic plan, he'll change your life forever. And all the people that are on it said... Amen, because you know, you know, you don't have anything to fear. All right, so we're in a new series. So uh, March the 28th and 29th is our liberty offering. And uh, so just pray right now. Talk to, your, talk to God. Talk to your family. You guys get together and believe, and we'll see what God can do. And if everybody does what God asks them to do, I promise you God will bless us, and we'll see tremendous things happen in our church. We're starting a brand new series called Pet Peeves. Now, if you don't know what a pet peeve is... It's basically a peeve, which is an annoyance, that's close to you, which is a pet. Something that's close to annoyance. How many of y'all got a pet peeve? Raise your hand. All right. I Googled it to see what the top five pet peeves are. All right. Top five pet peeves. See which one of these is yours. Here they are. Number one, people chewing. Okay. People chewing gets on my nerves. My grandmother used to get mad at me because I would smack. You know, how many of y'all know somebody that smacks? All right. I have a friend of mine that when he eats, true story. True story. When he eats, he'll take a bite and he'll go, mmm, 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 I want to smack him. I really do. True, true story. I want to smack him. I'm like, what are you doing? It's not, that's annoying and a little awkward at the table when you're humming and eating at the same time, you know. Uh, people chewing. Number one, that's the number one pet peeve. Number two is the fanatic. Who's the fanatic? Okay, how do you know somebody's a vegan? They tell you. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. Okay, the fanatic is the person who every week they are fanatical about something. Okay, it could be being a vegan. The next week it's the Atkins diet. The next week it's about the bachelor. You know, the next week, you know, it's just they're, they're fanatic about something all the time and they tell you about it and they buy everything that goes along with it. The fanatic. Number three is chronic lateness. Ooh, I don't like no late people. All right, all right. It's funny, as a pastor, you don't get to see this because y'all are facing this way. But as a pastor, I get to see the people who walk in late. And we don't just have two services on Sunday morning. We got the 9.30, we got the 11.15, we got the 11.30, we got the 11.45, we got the 12. We have the altar call service. I have watched whole families as I'm doing the altar call. Walk through the door and walk straight up to the altar call. <laughs> Didn't hear the message, never heard the music, but Lord Jesus, they got saved. <laughs> Chronic lateness. I don't like to be late. People who eat your food. Okay, men, you know what I'm talking about here. In the drive-in line at, at Chick-fil-A, because all Christians go to Chick-fil-A, right? Hey, honey. You want me to get you something? No. I'll just have some of yours. No, no, you won't have some of mine. 
I'll get you your own fries. You don't need to eat my fries. And the fries in the bottom of the bag are mine too. Those are the Jesus touched fries. They got a little extra salt, maybe some dirt on them, and that's fine with me because they taste better that way. Right, men? Just, I'll get you your own food. You don't need to eat none of mine. My wife used to give me a hard time. You're an only child. That's why you're like that. No, no, no. This has nothing to do with only child. It's mine. It's mine. It's my food. Number five, people who don't use turn signals. Come on. How many, was behind, how many of y'all were behind somebody who came into church parking lot today that didn't use their turn signals? Raise your hand. Nobody. No, it's all about three people. All right. All right. I know y'all do it. Have you, ever, have you ever done this? Okay. Have you ever followed somebody and then reminded them that their turn signal was broken? I've done that before. Just letting you know. I followed them and said, excuse me, I just want to let you know your turn signal, I think it's broken because when you made that right-hand turn up there, you didn't use it. So obviously it was broken. You should see the look on their face like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I want you to get your pens out, get your note sheet out, get your app out, whatever you want to take notes today, because I'm going to teach a little bit today about God's pet peeves. And we're going to look at a verse over the next few weeks out of Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. 16 through 18. Here's what the Bible says. These six things the Lord hates. Okay, so we're going to look at what God's pet peeves are. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. So we're going to talk about seven things that God don't like. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we don't like what God don't like. We want to make sure that we hate what God hates. A proud look. Here he gives us the list. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. So we can see the first six. And then seven is and one who sows discord among the brethren. So he hates the first six. And number seven is an abomination. Which we'll get more into that in a second. So we're going to talk about God's pet peeves. Now when I read the Bible. And when I talk to people who read the Bible. I think there's two different ways that you can read the scriptures. I personally believe that every Christian should have a regular diet of scripture. I think we should all be reading, have a regular reading plan, have some type of way in which we are participating in the word of God on a regular basis. However, what happens, especially if you've been a believer for any length of time over a week, what ends up happening is you have two ways to read the Bible. The first way is we say, ooh, that's good. And I know somebody that needs to hear that, God. So, so we send them a text and go, I, I was thinking about you this morning when I was reading the Bible. And this verse jumped out of the page and it had your name all over it. How many of y'all have done that today? You did it today. You sent, some of y'all did it to me today. You sent me a, a verse that you felt like the Lord told you that was good for me. You do, we put it on Instagram, hoping that the person that we're mad at would look at that verse so that we're rebuked by God. Come on, don't look at me in that, in that religious tone of voice because you know you've all done it. I've done it. Because we look at the Bible and we say, ooh, that's good. But how about instead of looking at it through the eyes of what it means for somebody else, we say, ooh, that's good for me. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work and guide us into his a relationship with the word because the Bible is a mirror 
that reflects God's intended purpose and intended plan about our own personal lives. The Bible is alive. It's not a book that is dead, which means that every time we open it, there is the potential for the living word to jump off the page into our heart. It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to let the Bible read you, which is two different ways to look at it. We can look at it as a book of facts, of history, or we can look at it as a mirror in which when we open it and see what the Word of God has for us, we can see the vision that God has for our life. What is vision? Vision is like my friend defined it. He says vision is God's intended outcome. It's intended. It's not guaranteed. It's intended for you. Listen to me very closely. Everything you need for your life is inside of you. God put it there. God put every talent, every gift, every resource. And and when we get into the word, and and there's really no other place that you're going to get that from him. If, If God put it there, don't you think it would be right that we would go to God to get it out? So why would we go other places thinking, you know, nothing wrong with self-help books, nothing wrong with the motivational camp on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but there's one place that you can find your vision for your life that God put there, and it's through the Word of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3 says, but we all, everybody say we all. Now, that includes all of us. It's not just select group of people, somebody that's been a, a Christian for maybe all their life, for 20 years or 10 years. Uh, this is all of us. We all with unveiled face, meaning that every time we go to the Word, it rips off, it unveils a layer away from What is causing us to not be what God intends us to be, to become what God intends us to be. So every time we open the word, he peels back another layer of who he wants us to be. Sometimes it's strong. Sometimes it's not so strong. Sometimes it's a fatherly chastening, a fatherly rebuke. Sometimes it's a, hey, you're doing really, really good. In order for us to come transparent and vulnerable to the word of God, ultimately to God, So we can see who he's created us to be. With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. This is a continual thing. It's not like one time, boom, it's all gone, all finished. I read the book. I'm done. I don't have to read it again. It's over with. No, no, no. It's a constant transformation that happens Day after day after day after day until one day you're going to step over into glory and God's going to, and and I believe this, I think we're still going to learn when we get to heaven. We're still going to learn about the universe and learn about things and understand God even more for the rest of eternity is what's going to happen. Are being transformed into the same image. What is that image? The image of Christ. From glory to glory to glory, getting better and better, gooder and gooder and gooder, day after day after day, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit is all involved with it. Simple prayer you can pray every time you read the Bible, whether it's one verse or whether it's ten chapters. Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, 
teach me. I want to know. Now, with that in mind, let's read the Bible again. Proverbs chapter 6. Let's look at this verse again. And let's dig a little deeper. And instead of looking at it, ooh, I know somebody that's prideful. And ooh, I know somebody that's a liar. And I better send this verse to him right now. Let's look at it and say, that's good for me. God, what do you want to talk to me? So let's look at it again. Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. All right, now, six, the number six. Bible number six is the number of man, which means that God, right off the bat, is going to deal with man. These six things, these things I'm going to deal with man about. Yes, seven, what's the number seven mean? It's the number of completeness. So God's telling us right now that he's going to deal with man in a complete way. And he says, these six, I don't like about man, about mankind, about the human race. And the seventh one will complete you. And I want you to know, number seven, I really don't like. It's detestable. It's an abominable snowman. I mean, abomination. Y'all remember that show? Sorry. Now, here they are. A proud look. Now, notice, I highlighted some words for you because I want you to see how God destri- describes these. He says, a proud look deals with the eyes. A lion tongue, he deals with the mouth. Hands that shed innocent blood, he deals with what we do, our hands. A heart that devises wicked plans. So notice what he's doing. He's describing the person. He says, he's talking about your eyes. He's talking about your mouth. He's talking about your hands. He's talking about your heart. He says, feet that are swift and run into evil. Okay, so these first five, he deals with the person. And then he says in verse, uh, the, the number six, 19, he says, a false witness who speaks lies. Now he's talking about a person to person. So he deals with the person, and then he deals with person to person. And then he says, number seven is somebody who sows discord among the brethren. So a person to people. So God is with mankind, with us, men and women, all of us together dealing with our person, our relationship to someone, and then our relationship to a community. All in one verse. It's amazing what will happen if you just ask the Holy Spirit to teach you about the scriptures. It's amazing because you can just read that and go, ooh, I know, I know somebody that can fit in all those categories. As opposed to God revealing that, guess what? We all fit into this. He's describing us. Because we all have a little bit of pride. We all have a tendency to lie. We all have a tendency to to maybe try to sow discord among the brethren. We all can sometimes have a bad heart. Sometimes we can get our hands around something that's not right. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. And so it's really important for us to understand this. Now... We know that God hates sin. He says these are the things that God hates. But here's the good news. The good news is that God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. Now, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Okay, so there is a curse on sin. Curse on sin. There is not a curse on the person unless they connect with sin. Now, here's what God is trying to explain to us in this verse, that we all 
carry around a sin nature. All of us do. This is, this is, this is our Adam we carry around. We were, we, we were born in Adam and through our faith can be born again like Christ. Because we have the potential to die. Well, we're going to die two deaths. The first death is the physical death. The one that Adam participated in. And all of us, sad to say it, you're going to die physically. It's just going to happen. We're all going to live a life and then we're going to die. And then we have the potential to die a second death, which is a spiritual death, which is a independence from God or a separation from God, unless we are born again, which means that we can, we can live forever under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. Are you following what I'm saying here? Okay, now, what does this mean? What is God talking about in regards to what he hates? We, as mankind, we carry around this sin nature. Every day we pick it up. I, I once heard this preacher say that you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. You can't cast your flesh out. Okay, you have to deal with your flesh until you get to heaven. And then you're going to get a new body. It's going to be thin. Okay, it's going to be not, you're going to be way better looking. Some of y'all are really good looking right now. You're going to be way better looking. You can eat as many carbs as you want when you get to heaven. doesn't matter. Matter of fact, the whole table at the Last Supper is going to be carbs. I'm excited about it. All right. Maybe one little piece of chicken over here, but the rest of it's going to be cakes and Jesus. I mean, just donuts, everything, because we have a glorified body. But until we get to heaven... We carry around the sin nature. If we don't crucify our flesh, think about this. Jesus dealt with sin 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, he became sin so that he could forgive us of our sin so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. Now, God hates sin. If I decide to live habitually in a life of sin, the wages of my sin is death. Now, is the curse on me? No. The curse is on sin, but if I carry it around, guess what I have in my life? A curse. It's not on me because all I got to do is by faith deal with my flesh on a daily basis and I can separate myself from what the Lord hates. When I decide to hate what the Lord hates. Are you following what I'm saying here? I want to make this very clear because some people think that you are, you have to live your entire life with this sin, with this temptation. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to live your entire life. You don't have to carry around alcoholism and addiction and lying and pride. You don't have to carry that around because Jesus took care of it for you. And you have the authority by faith in Jesus Christ to let go of this. Now, is it going to happen one time? Maybe. Probably not. Because tomorrow morning you're going to wake up again and there he is. Right back. And the enemy is going to remind you of who you were. He's never going to tell you who you are. He's going to try to talk you out of who you are. He's going to do his best job 
to remind you of who you were, what you did, the failures you made, the sins you've committed, the problems that you put yourself through so that you will pick this up again and go, oh, woe is me, shame, guilt. I guess I have to live this for the rest of my life. But God says that by his grace, you can let this go and walk away from it. And every day you can just kick it a little bit farther away from you. And just go, I'm going to separate myself even farther because I don't want to die and connect myself with that sin. I want, I want to stay as far as I can away from pride, as far as I can away from this. So, but I do have to understand how it works. i got to understand the, the signs of it. So here's the prayer. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. I'm going to give you the answer before I tell you the problem. Okay, so you may want to write this one down. This is a good one, Psalms 139. And this is the prayer that we can pray. It's a dangerous prayer, by the way. Just want to let you know. This is a dangerous one, especially if you want the truth. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Because this is a dangerous prayer. Because you're asking God, search me. Okay, search me. Show me, God, what what are these things over here? Show me, God, what are these things right here? Show show me, God, uh, open this up. Okay, let me get in here. Let me look. Pull every zipper back. Search me, God, and show me and and know my heart. Not not the persona that I show everybody else out here. That fake me. Show me who I really am. Test me. Test my thoughts. Point out anything, anything you find in me that makes you sad. That's would you agree that's dangerous? Yeah, it is, especially if you want the truth. Okay? And then he says, I love this. I love this. This is the best part of the prayer. Okay, so deal with that. And then, and then lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm tired of trying to lead you. I'm going to let you lead me. And that's when the Holy Spirit gets involved and he becomes our best friend. And then we have this relationship with the Holy Spirit that is more than just a feeling, a goosebump, or a good worship song. He becomes a part of our life on a regular basis. Amen? Amen? Okay, so let's dig into this real quick. Let's talk about God's pet peeves. Let's get this guy out of here. We don't want him anymore. All right. So God's pet peeves. Number one is a proud look. A proud look. A proud look is involving the eyes. It's involving the eyes. A position of the eyes describes the attitude of the heart. And God deals with our eyes first. He deals with pride first because pride at its foundation is the root of all sin. Where did it come from? It came from Lucifer. If you don't know the story of Lucifer, Lucifer was one of the three archangels in heaven. He was, there was Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. Lucifer was a worship leader, tight jeans, beard, everything. That's where it came from. Played guitar. Matter of fact, the Bible says his body was an instrument. And he worshiped God. His job, his name was the anointed cherub, anointed angel that covered the throne room. He had a platform in heaven. Michael was the, is, is the warring angel and Gabriel is the messenger angel. But Lucifer got this idea because he was elevated. This is why you have to be very careful who was on the platform. Because the platform elevates you physically already, and it can elevate you internally if you're not careful. And you start to overvalue yourself and undervalue other people. 
So as a pastor, I have to be real careful on who I put on this platform because it can go to their head and their heart very quickly. And their eyes can be one. So I, I watch this very closely, very closely. Now you say, well, what about you, pastor? Exactly. That's why I, that's why I prayed Psalms 139 because I don't want to ever get into a position where I think that I am elevated above anybody. Matter of fact, that's why I share a lot of my problems with you. Is because I want you to know I'm a real person. I'm jacked up just like you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, hey, man, that makes me feel better already. I'm, thinking, I'm glad I came to church. My pastor said he's jacked up. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm a little messed up. I'm a little messed up. It's all right, though, because we all are. But the moment that you think that you're better than everybody else, your eyes have described your heart. And so you got to be real careful. So Lucifer, he gets in this place where he says, I want to be like God. And so he says this. He says, for you have said in your heart, I will. Whenever I becomes the number one word in your vocabulary, you might have a proud look. I want this, and I get this, and I am, and I am. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. Whenever the Bible talks about stars, he's talking about angels. So he says, I will exalt my throne above all, the other, all my other angel friends of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north, meaning that he's going to be above God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And God said, nope, ain't going to happen. Boom, kicked him out of heaven. Don't let, the, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord, where I split you. That's what he said. It's a Maxwell translation. <laughs> Cast him down into chaos onto the earth. And then as a result of that chaos into a, a realm of, of, of spiritual prison. And then when God created man and woman, where sin entered is when Satan came in the form of a serpent and tempted Adam and Eve. So what he did to them is he said, if you eat this fruit, you're not going to die. You know what you'll do? You'll be like God. Exactly what caused him to get kicked out of heaven. So pride became the root. In essence, pride is independence from God. That's what pride is. I can do it myself. I can do it all by myself. Uh, pride says I, I, I can earn it myself. Pride says I can, I can achieve it myself. Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you can understand your humility, then the kingdom is all yours. But what, what is God looking for? He's looking for something. Uh, this is what he's looking for, a person simple and plain, reverently responsive to what he says. That's what he's looking for. And that's what humility looks like. So, so here's what God says in James. He says, I resist the proud. Now, what does that mean? The word resist means oppose. When pride shows up, God gets in between pride and pushes against it. He gets actively involved in pride because he cannot allow that into his kingdom. And so what has happened, that's why the Bible says in Proverbs, pride comes before a fall. Pride comes. I will, I will, I will. Boom, you're going to get kicked out. It's coming soon, so you got to be careful. So God, search me. So here's the question. I'm going to give you some questions. Every one of these, I'm going to give you some questions to kind of ask yourself. Do I see fine or find faults in others before I find it in myself? 
Am I good at pointing out everybody else's mistakes out before I point out my own? Do, do, am I unkind in my heart? Am I superficial? Am I defensive? Do I desire attention and neglect other people? Do I need you to look at me all the time and look at me, look at me, look at me? Okay, then I've got, I've got some issues with pride. Number two is a lying tongue. Anybody ever have anybody lie to them? Raise your hand if you had anybody lie to them. Worst thing in the world, isn't it? When you get people get cornered, they start lying, they start telling. In, in, in God's um, economy, in God's kingdom, truth is extremely valuable to him. Because truth is what upholds the world. It's what keeps the earth. When we say God is faithful, it means that his word is worth standing upon forever. So he doesn't want dishonesty in his kingdom. So we have to deal with that on a regular basis. We have to make sure that our mouth is clear. So Psalms 51 says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Now I want you to see something, okay? Okay, so if I want to look at this and say, God, this is good for me, what does that mean? That truth is followed by wisdom. If I want wisdom then I can't get it by being dishonest. It only comes by truth in the inward part. I've got to be truthful, and God's going to pour out wisdom in my life and through my life. Now, I grew up, my family was good at covering things up. So my dad had a life of lying. He lied about everything. I mean, everything. And and he was an alcoholic, and so... As time went on with me as a young man, he would tell me something and then never do it. Tell me something and would never do it. I'm going to show up and take you for the weekend. I'd sit out back. I'd wait for him hours and hours till midnight, and then he would never show up. And it created this deep, dark hurt inside of me that when I became a Christian, I had to deal with it. What I found out in my family is that there was a pattern of lying because we didn't really, my family didn't really want to do anything. And so when I became a Christian, I had to deal with this part of the generational side of me that whenever pressure came, that I had to make sure that I was truthful. And God had to deal with me and deal with my life in regards to the truthfulness of our. So, I mean, I had to, I had to push through this. Well, does that mean you lied, Pastor? No, no. I had a propensity towards it because my whole family did it. And I had to make sure that I didn't follow in those footsteps. Because when we all, whenever we get cornered, we want to find the easiest way to get out. And sometimes that's just a little white lie. Sometimes it's exaggerating something. Come on. The fish that we caught was really this big. It was really this big. But, but we tell everybody how big it was. Okay. Little white lie. Little exaggeration. Okay. But I want to make sure that I don't have a lying mouth. Number three is hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. To God, human life is very precious. Why is that? Acts 17 says, He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Now, what does this mean for you and me? Because you're thinking, well, I ain't going to kill anybody. However, in our culture right now, the sensitivity to death and murder and human life has been dropped down because of what we see on the media. A 30-second clip or a 15-second clip can dehumanize things 
very quickly. And so we see it in human trafficking. And we see it in even in, in a big issue that you're going to see even more about this year is abortion. Abortion is not a political issue. Let me say that one more time. Because we need to make this clear, church. Church, abortion is not a political issue. It is not a Democrat or a Republican issue. It has to do with human life. And it's the life of the innocent. Are you with me? Okay. And so what we're talking about here is making sure that as believers, we aren't, we aren't putting something forth as an agenda when it's really a moral, biblical issue. And that's where we need to stand as a church. And I'm talking big C church if we want to see change in our society. Which means we have to let go of some things. Maybe it's watching certain things on television. Maybe it's letting our kids play video games that has killing all over it and they're seven years old. Because you're desensitizing them to the value of human life. Are you you following what I'm saying? Look, I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm just telling you what the Bible says about human life. Jesus thought it was precious, very precious. So he protected it and even raised it people back from the dead because it was so precious to God. Amen? Amen. All right. Y'all did good on that one, by the way. Y'all really hung in there on that one, especially when I started talking about abortion because I know what happens. When I start talking about stuff like that, as a pastor, you go, oh, no, here he's going to get political. But we got to rearrange the way that we think about things as the church and realize that we can't be conditioned to a certain vocabulary to immediately go to a political bend. Are you following what I'm saying? We have to stand as the word of God and believe what we believe and stay strong on the foundation of who God's called us to be, even when you're going to feel pressure from people around you. And love them biblically. Come on, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Value them equally, but treat them a little bit differently. Maybe not give them access to our life. When they start to press against something and call you something that you're not because you're a Christian and you're standing on the values of being a Christian and realizing that you're not going to, you may have to lose some friends in order to stay on that value. Look at your neighbor and say, ooh, this is good. (laughs) This is good stuff right here. Number four, a heart that devises wickedness. The word devise means to plow. Heart is used over 300 times in the Bible. Heart is our most important organ in the Bible. You pull the heart out, you dead. Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Your life flows from your heart. And so we have to guard our heart. Jesus made this statement, pretty strong statement in Matthew chapter 15. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Jesus, thanks for the encouragement. (laughs) But what he's talking about is when we have the right heart, we'll have the right life. If we have the wrong heart, then our, our life will be betrayed by the words that come out of our mouth. He's basically saying it's not about what goes in, it's about what comes out. And what comes out displays your heart. Just be around somebody for a little while. I like to play golf with people because you can really see what's in their heart on the golf course. <laughs> you start seeing, I mean, cuss words come out. They get creative with cuss words on the golf course. And I thought you were a Christian. Yeah. But I hit a bad shot and racka, sacka, lacka. I mean, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Pat, these are pastors. 
They're supposed to be Christians. They just preached it on Sunday morning, and then Sunday afternoon, they're out there, racka, sacka, throwing clubs and, and hip, snapping stuff and flipping the bird. I mean, it's just crazy. Out of the abundance of the heart. Got to check your heart. Got to look at your heart. Is it devising wickedness? So here's the questions you got to ask yourself. What does my self-talk like? What's, what's, going, what's the dialogue that I'm having in my heart? What, what does that look like? I think it's good for, for everybody to kind of sit quietly and see what's going on inside of them. We can easily, easily get so busy with life that we don't ever have to listen to our heart. Some of us, if we're honest, we're addicted to busyness because we don't want to listen to our heart. Man, this is really good today, this service. This is, like, I didn't say any of this in any of the other services. So I'm make sure this one gets on, online. So just remember that, Brad. Num, num, <laughs> number five. Number five. I'm almost done. Is feet that are swiftly running to evil. Why? Why are four and five together? Because the feet follow the heart. The feet follow the heart. When we deal with the heart, the feet will always follow. When I, when I became a Christian, um, and, and really what I believe God's dealing with here on this one is environments, making sure that we put ourselves in the right and correct environment, and we find ourselves in the right environment. So when I became a Christian, I got completely delivered of alcohol. Okay, like, it was like amazing. Doesn't happen all the time with everybody, but like I drank a lot, got saved, and it was like I had no desire to do it anymore. And so what ended up happening with me, I was in a fraternity, and so I, uh, I really wanted, as most of us do when we become a Christian, we want everybody to know the Jesus that we know. Like, I never knew this guy existed, and now I know him, and man, he's awesome, and I want to introduce you to Jesus. And so what ended up to me is I quickly went back into environments that I had no business being in because I thought I could influence those environments that had influenced me. And what I found out very quickly is that I did not have the ability to influence those environments that influenced me. And when I put myself back in those environments, they influenced me way more than I had the capability of influencing them. And so we have to be real careful that our feet don't take us somewhere that we're not ready to go. Or our feet don't take us somewhere we have no business being. Like in a conversation with a girl who's not your wife at work, that you have no business talking to about. Or in a Facebook conversation with an old boyfriend, and you're just telling your husband, well, he's just an old boyfriend, I want to lead him to the Lord. No, you don't. <laughs> you ain't the one to be leading him to the Lord. But we're just friends. Block him. Well, he's not married. Exactly. He's telling you how much he wants to come to church with you, but it ain't church he wants. Okay, so, so we got to be careful that our feet don't take us somewhere that our heart can't help us in. And so we don't want to put ourselves in bad environments. So, so here, here's, the, here's the question you got to ask yourself. Am I putting myself in some bad environments? Okay, do I have the right people in my life? Am I influencing or am I being influenced? Number six is a false witness. Now, remember, we just dealt with the five that deal with the person. Now we're going to talk about the person to person, the people to people. And so here, here's the way it works with this. This is talking about a, a pet peeve that involves the mouth 
and it's how we, we portray somebody else we're in relationship with. How do we describe them? And specifically, those people that have hurt us. Do we hold those things in, or do we tell everybody the offense that we're carrying about that person? So we got to be real careful that we don't perjure ourselves as we sit on the stand to, to give witness about someone else in our life or who has exited our life. And so we got to be careful. That's what Jesus is talking about. So how do I represent people? What is the story? What is the narrative in which I am able to share about someone else? And, and you know, just do what my grandma says. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Just whoop, zip it. What do you think about this? I can't really talk about that right now. I'm still dealing with some bitterness and some issues with me. And so I probably would not be able to portray them in the right light right now. So I need to pull myself back, and I'm just not going to say anything right now. All right. And then the last one. And remember, this is the one that God says in an abomination. It's detestable. Really, one translation says that it's dangerous and sinister. The person who sows discord among the brethren. What, what he's saying is somebody who gets into it a community in order to divide it, which is dangerous, very dangerous. Paul told Timothy, if, if you meet somebody who has been rebuked about that and they continue to do it, separate yourself from them. Don't have relationship with them because the spirit in which they carry will eventually get on you. The spirit of sowing discord, the spirit of discord, really what it is is the spirit of offense. Offense is contagious. But remember, offense is always a choice. And people who live in offense want friends who are with them. They all want relatives to come in and join with them in their offense. Why? Because then they can sow seeds of bitterness, and it's okay. They can sow seeds of anger, and it's okay. They can sow seeds of distrust, and it's okay. Because I want you on the same team with me and be offended with them because it makes me feel better about my offense if you agree with me. And what will happen is it will divide, divide an office. You all know this. You can have 30 people in your office, and one toxic person can cause the worst tension you've ever felt on a Monday morning. Right? One person. And they don't even have to say anything. They just come in carrying all their junk in there. The boss said something, and they go, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. And they can't fire them. You know, they get in trouble if they fire them, but they mm-hmm, yeah. And then somebody says something, and they're like, yeah, I'm with you, but they're really not. It can divide. Well, in the church, it happens all the time. And so you, as a believer, have to shut that down. You have a responsibility to lead people out of their offense or disassociate yourself with them and realize that you can't allow yourself to connect with them anymore. And so that's a very dangerous thing. And God says, that is an abomination to me. I don't know about you. Okay, and I'm almost done. I don't know about you. I don't want to be called an abomination by God. So I'm going to protect the church Listen, protect your small group, protect your church, protect your leaders, protect your pastor. Speak up, speak up, because sometimes your silence is considered connection just as much as saying something. 
By not saying anything at all, people will say, well, they're with me because they didn't say anything at all. They didn't disagree with me, so obviously they're with me. And so they can sow discord. So we got to deal with anger. Remember, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Um, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Make sure your anger is pointed in the right direction. Be angry towards reconciliation, not revenge. Not revenge. Not revenge. So how do, how do we deal with this? How do, we, how do we resolve this? Because if we resolve issues within you, if we don't resolve the issues within you, they will dissolve the relationships around you. So all seven of these things can, if you don't resolve them on the inside, remember, this is good for me. For me, God. Search me, God. Help me. How do, how do we deal with this? Well, I believe it's found in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. I want you to stand up on your feet, and we're going to read this together. I just want to read this over you today, and then we're going to go home. Was this good today? Did you learn anything? Take some notes. All right. Good deal. As for us, you can say, as for me, as for me, we have this large crowd of witnesses around us. So then let us rid ourselves. Let's get rid of this over here. Let's, on a daily basis, let's rid ourselves of that nature, that sinful nature. Rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way. And of the sin which holds on to us so tightly and let us run with, de with determination the race that lies before us. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. God, Jesus, you're the one on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, on the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And he is now seated. I love this part. Seated at the right-hand side of God's throne. And you know what he's doing right there? Praying for you. Praying for me. He's, he's taking our place. He's praying that we'll get over our pride. Well, he's praying that we'll be dependent upon God. He's praying that we'll, we'll quit lying. We'll quit exaggerating. Quit telling those white lies. He's praying that we don't want to get in a position where we'll, we'll be offended and not forgive and let it go. So, Father, today we just thank you that your word is true. God, we thank you that, that the Bible speaks specifically to our hearts. God, we pray Psalms 139, search us. See, see if there be anything that makes you sad. And God, help us to remove it from our life on a consistent basis. Every day. Every day removing it. God, we, we want to be self-aware of those things in our life. We don't ever want to just point the finger at everybody else, blame everybody else, become the victim. God, we want to be who you've called us to be, followers of Jesus, blood-bought, connected to you in the name of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, even if you're watching online today. If you're here today and maybe... Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to become a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you knew God at one time, but you know you're not living a life that's pleasing to him. Would you be willing to rededicate your life, recommit your life? Because he's here today in this place. The Father is in the room to lift the shame, to lift the failures, to lift the hurt, to remove sin. Matter of fact, he took it for you 2,000 years ago. The same grace, the same power that was available on that day is here right now in this place. And he wants to forgive you and wash you clean of all your sins, all your mistakes.
past, present, and future in Jesus' name. If you say that's me, Pastor, just put your hand on your chest. And church, let's just pray this prayer all together. Say this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today, I give my life to you. I'll follow you all the days of my life. I commit, I'll serve you, and I'll worship you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.